Praise the Lord. What a great looking group of people tonight. Amen. God bless all of you for being here this evening. I trust that you are blessed of the Lord. Amen. He is here tonight, and He desires to do awesome things. He always desires to do awesome things in our midst. But oftentimes, He's limited by us, isn't He? He's limited by our lack of faith. He's limited by our, dare I say, maybe a, a bit apathetic desire. Uh, I'll start preaching later. Um, but, but tonight, we have an opportunity, folks. We have an opportunity to receive of the Lord anything that we have need of tonight. Anything that we have need of is possible from Jesus Christ. Amen. And if I can build our faith tonight, our hope and our confidence in the Lord our God. I know it's Wednesday. Some of us are tired. I had the day off today, so I'm not tired. <laughs> I'm good. But uh, some of you didn't have the day off. So, so you're a little bit tired physically. But again, in our spirit, folks, in our spirit, we can be revived. We can be refreshed and rejuvenated and ready to receive. Amen. Let's all stand. Sister Tammy, I have not forgotten. <laughs> Amen. But first, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to we're going to we're going to believe in great things. We're going to believe great things of God tonight, because He is here, and we're here to receive. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I worship You. I give glory and honor unto the Most High. I thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've given us tonight. This is an awesome opportunity that You've afforded us. I will not take it for granted. I will not esteem it lightly. But You have given me invitation into the very throne room of God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus! I will walk humbly and softly into Your presence, and I will receive of You Your good things. I will receive of You all that You have in store. Everything that You're wanting to do here tonight, I pray, God, that it would be manifest in our midst this evening. In Jesus' name, let it be manifest in our presence here tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night, but Lord, You made every day. Every day is made by You. This day is blessed of the Lord. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that faith would be released into this assembly tonight. Faith to believe You for all things. Faith to receive anything that You're desiring to give to Your people tonight. Bless Your people tonight, I pray. I pray, I pray. Undergird them with strength. Encourage them tonight in the Lord their God to move forward in You. To give holy and completely everything to You. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let Your great name be glorified in our midst here tonight. Let it be worshipped. Let it be magnified here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are Your people. We are blood-bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we worship You. We worship You tonight because You are worthy. You're worthy inherently because of who You are. You're worthy because of Your mighty acts. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for Your so great faithfulness to us and for all that will transpire here tonight. We give You all the glory. We give You all the honor, all the worship and all the praise. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. What an awesome hope we have in the Lord our God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated for just a moment. Sister Tammy has a testimony that she'd like to share with us. I haven't heard it yet. I'm trusting it's a good one. <laughs> Amen. Sister Tammy. Well, first of all, I think I know what pretty much everybody in the room except for the two of you but and some other faces back here but um I just want to say I've been through a lot in my life and um I came to the church through my mom and my stepdad um and he he was raised Pentecostal the only thing I knew about Pentecostals is when I lived down south and I thought they were maybe another sect of Amish or something you know so I didn't know that much, <laughs> but I have to say that my mom raised raised me in the church, and I've always had a love for God, and um, through all the things that I've been through in my adult life, 
this church has been there for me. Um, um, not even being a full member, just through the love that you've shown my my parents and stuff. Um, I think the first thing was when I had thyroid cancer. The minister at my own church didn't come to visit, but Pastor Bell came to visit me and prayed with me. Then I broke my arm and was in the hospital for a while. And my own minister didn't come to visit me, but again, Pastor Bell came to visit me. Then, oh, I ended up with an emergency C-section. And it was Brother Parker that came to see me. Um, trying to think. Then I was diagnosed with lupus. And Brother Parker came to see me. And out of all of those, and when I gave birth to my um, youngest child, um, I think Brother Bell was there and Brother Parker both came. And our minister did come that time from our church, but he called my husband by the wrong name. (laughs) Um, But this church has been here for me, and... And has prayed for, you know, the salvation of my family and myself. And um, has always shown me nothing but love. And I've learned a lot. There's still things I know that I've got to learn and I've got to let go of and that. But I've learned a lot. And you all have given so much. And Sister Linda has given me one day a week for the last at least two and a half years. She's met with me and done Bible study with me, and I've and, and I've learned so much from all of you, and I really appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. And um, the first time I had cancer, it was just fear. The whole thing was just terrified, just fear the whole time. Well, um, within the last month, I had a a yearly exam, and I just. I knew for some reason that it was going to come back, that there was going to be something wrong with one of the tests. Sure enough, the doctor called me, told me they found something abnormal. They wanted me to have um, more tests. And um, so I went in and I did that test. And I had the test on Thursday. And Friday, they told me it was going to be three to five days, business days, before I'd get any results. The doctor called me the very next day, so I knew when I was picking up that phone, that it was going to be what I thought. And sure enough, they diagnosed me with uterine cancer. So let me step out of this for a second and just say that my husband and two other business owners in our hometown of Houston started what they called um, DLC, and it's making good happen in our community. We're, you know, 900 people in our town. And everybody's good about coming together and helping each other out and stuff. And so they wanted to raise funds that could go to help families if they were experiencing hardships, especially with medical things, and um, then to support the fireworks for our town celebration because they had stopped. And it was the only real family-friendly thing to do on a Friday night um, at this celebration. So they started this guild. And they've been going now for two years. Um, They've been helping a family in our hometown that they have a two-year-old little daughter that had cancer, and she lost her leg to the cancer. And she's just been having to go up to Mayo and Rochester for a lot of doctoring. And the mother had to quit her job so that she could take care of the daughter. And the dad works as a mechanic, so he was, you know, sole provider for a family of six. So um, DLC helped them out, and they stepped up and helped them out. So I found out that I had the uterine cancer on Friday. I got the call. And the doctor said they should give you um, a call to set up an appointment with a specialist up in Rochester because we don't deal with uterine cancer here in La Crosse. And so they, she said expect a call next Monday or Tuesday. Well, it was a ma- maybe a matter of a couple hours that I got the phone call and they said, we want to set up your appointment for uh, your appointment up in Rochester. And before 
I would have been just a total bundle of nerves. I wanted it, it just would have been fear. The whole thing would have been fear. And as soon as she told me, I got off the phone and she told me that I had the cancer, the first thing I said was, thank you, God. And I was just like, how am I able to say this? I mean, I had been taught, you know, here at this church that no matter what the circumstances are, you thank God. And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. First words out of my mouth after I hung up the phone with her. So she, they called um, to set up the appointment, and I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a few weeks out or something. They're like, we have an appointment for you on Monday morning at 8.15. And I'm like, whoa, okay, all right, this is good, this is good. You know, let's get this done. So um, my husband and I went up there. At 8.15, we met with the doctor. They explained the procedure, what I was going to have to have done. And I said, so how, I mean, are we going to be able to do this within the next couple months? And she turned to her RN, and she's like, well, Tammy, what does this say? And she's like, well, we can do it next Wednesday. And I'm just like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> let's get it out. Let's, you know, keep moving on. And, and um, so I was very excited about that because I didn't have, you know, won't have time for that evil fear to make its way in. And so that today, I opened up the estimate of how much it was going to cost. And I was always the one that carried the insurance, but with my lupus, I can't hold a job. And my husband is self-employed, and so we can't afford insurance, so we have no insurance. And it's $67,000. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, so I call up the financial aid people, and I'm just like, I said, I, I don't know what to do. I said, there's no, we can't even pay, you know, a quarter of this, and and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I said, we can put something down, but I don't know how much. I said, my husband isn't here right now, and i got to talk to him first to find out. And he said, well, let me know, he said, and then we'll run it past your care team to, uh, to see if they think that it's um, serious enough for you to go through with the procedure. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I got off the phone with him and I went to the bathroom and I just kind of, you know, cried a little bit. And I'm just like, Lord, this is all in your hands. I have, I have no idea where this is going to go from here. I don't know what's going to happen. If we need that money, I have no idea where it's coming from. It's it's all you. <laughs> it's in your hands. I'm giving this all to you. So I met my husband for lunch at JT's, and that's the owner of that place is one of the guys that's on this um, DLC with my husband and another gentleman named Luke. Um, so it's Luke and my husband Chris and Dusty. And... So Dusty came in, and he sat down, he had lunch, and I really didn't say much to anybody, you know, because I was thinking about this money in my head. And and so um, I told my husband, I said, can you come outside, you know, as soon as you get done eating your shrimp and talk to me for a second? And so he's like, okay. And I went out there, and I told him, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I said, this is how much it is. I have no idea where the, the money's going to come from. I don't know. I just, I don't know anything. And he's like, it's going to be okay. We'll get the money one way or another. Don't worry about it. Everything is going to be okay. So we go back in, and I finish up eating, and, and I just said goodbye to Dusty. Usually I'll give him a hug and stuff like that, but I was just like head down, just kind of like thinking. And So I get back to my desk at the shop. I'm there for a matter of minutes. All of a sudden, Dusty bursts through the door, and he's just like, okay, this is what I need from you. He said, I need you to create a form, or you need to talk to somebody. He said, "Um, I need you to put something on paper that tells us what you were diagnosed with and what the treatment is, and if you can get it on the mail letterhead, that would be the best, because Luke is part of the Houston Area Cancer Society, and they have a meeting tomorrow night, and he said, and they like to give out money, and it's usually four to six thousand dollars. 
and I was just like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can do that, you know, and I just burst out crying. So then with their DLC, their, their big fundraiser is coming up in October. And he said, he told Chris, you don't get to stay in this because Dusty and I are enough of a vote. You don't get to say anything, but at our fundraiser in October, all the benefits are going to go to you guys. And we're talking thousands of dollars that they raise at this thing. And um, I couldn't stop crying, and I'm just like, and they leave, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I just went in and prayed, not even an hour before that, saying I don't know where anything is going to come from, what, what's going to happen. And here all of this is just falling at our feet. And my husband said, well, that's karma for you. And I'm like, that's not karma. <laughs> I'm like, that is Jesus. <laughs> that is totally Jesus. <laughs> And I have to say that I knew that the Lord was with me the whole time because I did not have the anxiety that I normally did, that I used to have. Um, Yes, there's been times where I've thought about it a little too much and I start getting teary-eyed because if it's my time, I'm okay with that. It's just telling my kids and my grandkids and stuff. Making sure that they'll be safe. That's my that's what has gone through my head the most. So I know God's got me. He's got this. Um and he was kind of giving me an extra little nudge, I think, letting me reminded me of this because like I said, I found out on Friday. And my husband said, I do not feel like cooking anything. He said it's just, I'm just too emotionally, I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. So we went to Olive Garden to eat. And we both got to eat some, and we both laughed some. But when we were walking out, Wayne and Vicki were sitting there. And so it was just kind of like a little wink, you know, yeah, to my soul. So I thank you all for all of your prayers that you've ever said for me and for my family. And you've been there with us through all of these things. And I know that you're here with me now. And I would not have the peace that I have now if it weren't for everything that people have spent the time teaching me here. (laughs) So thank you all for that. I greatly appreciate it. Praise God. Amen. What an awesome testimony. If you have a need, folks, just bring it to Jesus. I hope you don't mind if we pray for your healing as well, though. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Amen. God is a prayer-answering God, folks. And He works in mysterious ways, but those ways are amazing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Praise God. Well, coincidentally enough, that's going to fit with the message tonight. Um, but before we do, uh, I want to give honor to Brother and Sister Hoffman. We're so glad to have you back with us. Uh, and uh, amen. And that's all I got for you guys. Um, after this, your family and uh, no more of this. <laughs> Amen. You're not visitors anymore. <laughs> but we're so we're so happy to have you with us. Amen. Amen. Uh give a prayed rest to the sergeant major before you go. Hey, you'll be good. <laughs> we had a little talk about the bishop on Sunday. <laughs> good things. Good things. Well, uh speaking of the message tonight, Amen. If you just went just a little longer. Sister Tammy, we could just wrap this up, give an altar call, and and we'd have been good. (laughs) It was all good. Thank you so much for for that testimony. I appreciate that.
We've heard a lot recently, uh, and it's all true, that, you know, the world is waxing worse and worse. We're in a spiritual battle, and Jesus is coming, and, um, you know, it's possible that, you know, the government's going to crack down on the church, and persecution's going to start happening, and that's totally true. All that is is very possible. Uh, At some point, I have to believe that it's it's certain. Um, I don't know when that time is, but... I have to believe at some point in time, before Jesus comes back, uh, the church is going to go through some of that here in the United States. But there's another side to that equation that uh, I kind of want to bolster up a little bit here tonight. And that's the fact that even though those things are going to take place, the kingdom of God is going to wax greater and greater. Praise God. And the powerful and mighty and glorious and miraculous things that are coming down the pike, we want to talk about those tonight. And the God who has already begun to initiate them. Praise God. We're going to talk about revival tonight and the need to prepare for that. That's also what we need to prepare for. Yeah, we need to be ready for the worst uh, so that we don't forsake the name of Jesus Christ no matter what comes down the, the, the way here. But we also need to be ready for the, the, the end time revival. The great things God still desires to do through us. Amen. So what is revival? We probably all understand, at least intellectually, I think most of us probably do, that revival is not for out there. Revival is in here. You've got to be alive first before you can be revived, right? It's for the church. The church is what needs to be revived. And when the church is revived, folks, our culture is impacted. If we want to change our culture, we win people to Jesus Christ. Because a biblical Christian, they think right. They act right. They vote right. Amen. What's the right way to vote? Don't say Republican. (laughs) Vote biblically. Amen. So what does it mean to be revived? What is revival? Well, revival is a revival of repentance. Now, when we say repentance, we typically mean sin. There's sin in my life and I need to repent of it. And that's true. But there are other things perhaps that we don't necessarily think of as, as gross immorality or sin, but, but we still might need to repent of those things as well. Like disobedience. Rebellion against the commandment of God. Not just the Word of God, but maybe something He's told me specifically. And I haven't gotten around to doing it quite yet. Folks, you need to repent of that. That is rebellion. It's a revival of prayer and worship. A revival of complete submission to God's will. That we give Him everything. Everything. Our finances are not ours but God's. Our time is not ours but God's. The very breath in my lungs is not mine but God's. The talents and gifts I have, the intellect I have or don't have, the hair I have or don't have, it's all God's. Everything is God's. And if I cease to see everything as being God's, then it becomes mine, doesn't it? And I have not honored God in submitting everything to Him. I have held back a portion for myself, like Achan did with the accursed thing. That doesn't just affect me, folks. That affects my family. That affects the body of Christ. And I have a... Maybe I should say it that way. We have a responsibility as Christians... God has given us a great responsibility to adhere to doctrinal truth, to submit ourselves to Him and obey Him. And if we fail to discharge our responsibilities, 
Yeah. We have been given freedom, folks. Liberty. We don't deny that. We celebrate that. But liberty to do what? To serve Jesus. To obey Him. To live in accordance with His precepts. To live in a manner that's pleasing to Him. That's what I'm free to do now. I couldn't do that before. But I can now. I've been given the ability to do that. I'm a new creature in Christ. Everything has been made new. I have the ability to please Him with my life. And I need to do that. I need to make choices that please God. I need to move myself in a direction that pleases God. This isn't my life. I don't get to pick and choose what I do, where I live, what job I have. I think it's kind of funny, in a way. You know, I, I see these poor people moving here, there, and everywhere. I thought there's a place overseas somewhere that people are starting to move to because everything's cheap and low tax. I thought to myself initially, man, that'd be pretty nice. I could buy a house for five thousand dollars, a really nice one. That's a, that's a sweet gig. Get some land. That's awesome. But then I'm like, but I can't. I can't go there. I'm called here. Maybe I could telecommute there. <laughs> I don't know if that'd work or not, but <laughs> but I can't just pick up and leave. I can't do what I want. This life isn't mine. And I've discovered, folks, that that's a good thing. That is the best way to live my life. When I get to pick and choose, when I get to do what I want to do, things just fall apart. They fall apart. It's junk. When I came to the Lord, I gave Him a a big heaping, steaming pile of, of burning garbage. That's what I gave Him. And in return... He gives me everlasting life. He gives me forgiveness. He fixed everything. I mean everything. He he made it all brand new. Some of it took a while, but He did it. Thank God for His mercy. One of the responsibilities I have as a biblical Christian is to treat the kingdom of God with respect. To treat it with respect. When I go to work, I don't just go to work whenever I please, whenever I choose. I don't, I don't want to go to work today. I got a headache. I got, I got a hangnail. I don't, I just, just something, I just don't want to go to work today. Well, my boss takes my job a little bit more seriously than that. <clears throat> And if I don't take my job seriously enough, he's going to step in and relieve me of it. And rightly so. Can I treat the house of God, can I treat the kingdom of God with at least the same level of respect as I treat my job? Is that okay? Is that okay to stay? Because this is so much more important than my workplace. And if I may speak freely here, thank you. I've heard some excuses from people in my time in church that if I would give them to my boss, he'd say, why don't you just stay home? Why don't you just reconsider your employment here? I don't think you're really serious about working here. Excuses that I would be embarrassed to tell my boss. And I've heard some doozies. I mean, both church and work. I can't come in today, boss, because my face hurts. I really didn't know what he meant by that. Your face hurts? All of it? A part of it? What what do you... The kingdom of God is so precious. It's so important. 
And I have a responsibility to the house of God. I have a responsibility to my Savior. I need to show up and work, if I can say it that way. If my boss, boss Jesus, schedules me to be at work, at, then I need to be at work. I need to show up. This needs to be the priority of my life. <clears throat> Mark 10, 28-31. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to get this out. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Amen. So if we're called to give up something for the kingdom of God, if I've got to set something aside to fulfill my obligation, my responsibility to my Lord and Savior, if I've got to do that, I can do that freely, knowing that it's going to be reciprocated. I don't feel like it needs to be reciprocated. But He does it anyway. God is no man's debtor, folks. If I give Him something, He's going to give me back that and more. Not because I deserve it. I don't... I don't think I'd ever ask for it back. Because He's done so much. But He does anyway. Alright. Every time God desires to do a new thing, He kicks it off with a bang. God dedicates Himself to the task. Okay, we see this all through Scripture. When God decided to start everything up, the creation week, He did it huge. He did it big. He didn't skimp on anything. This is a great big place, folks. He did it right. He did it specially. The creation week was something special where He spoke things into existence. Every other moment in history after that, He's been sustaining what He created. But that first week, He spoke it all into existence. The dispensation of law, when God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments, plus all of the other ones. It was a big deal. He came down on Mount Sinai with smoke and fire and thunderings and lightnings. The people were terrified. The Seventy elders of Israel, they, they ate and drank in the presence of God. They saw God. It was a very special time. It was a unique time in history. All through Israel after that, God even told it with Moses. If I'm going to speak to them, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'll speak to you in, in, through, through parables and, and with visions and, and through the prophet. But with my servant Moses, it's not so. With him, I'm speaking face to face. Plainly, it was a unique time in history. The dispensation of grace. Oh, my word, talk about a unique time in history. Where God, Almighty God, the everlasting Father, came down and wrapped Himself in flesh and lived among us. There's no more unique time in history than that. The sole purpose of dying for me, dying for you, taking the just punishment of our sins upon himself. And after the church age was ushered in, the dispensation of grace, we're going to look at the book of Acts. And I encourage you to look along. I'm going to pick a few select passages of scriptures out, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase chapters here. Starting with Acts chapter 2. Just go ahead and take a look at it. Tell me if I'm still in the book or not. Peter preached the first sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 souls were added to the church. That sounds like the beginning of a great thing here. Acts chapter 3. 
Peter and John ministered to a lame man and 5,000 souls were added to the church. Sounds like the continuation of a pretty good, pretty good thing here. Acts chapter 4. The apostles and the church had a prayer council. The place was shaken. Great power was given to the apostles to witness of Christ's resurrection. A spirit of love and unity fell on the church and they willingly and gladly ministered to the needs of those around them. Amen. This is all part of a very unique period in history. Acts chapter 5. God miraculously judged the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. The sin wasn't that they didn't give everything. The sin was that they told the apostle that they did give everything and they didn't. Do people lie to God today? Does God strike them dead for it? A unique period in history, folks. God was starting something brand new here. And He kicks it off with a bang. God smote them dead for their error. Many signs and wonders were done immediately following. They were all with one accord. Multitudes of believers, both man and woman, were added to the Lord, the Bible says. In Acts chapter 5. They brought the sick out into the streets that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow them. After that came a multitude of people from the cities round about Jerusalem bringing their sick and those vexed with unclean spirits. And the Bible says they were healed every one. A powerful, powerful period in history. The apostles were imprisoned, but God released them and commanded them to preach in the temple. So what did the apostles do? They went and preached in the temple. See how easy this is? Living for God? It's a piece of cake. Just let God tell you what to do and then, then go do it. Two steps to victorious living. I'll write a book. That'd be awesome. This chapter concludes with the apostles rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus and teaching and preaching Jesus Christ in the temple and in every house. Amen. Acts chapter 6. Stephen, he's not content to let the apostles have a monopoly on being used of God. Oh, Stephen, he didn't know any better. He didn't know you had to be a, a licensed minister to be worked in signs and wonders. He didn't know you had to be an apostle. He just believed that God wanted to use everybody. So, God used Stephen mightily in signs and wonders. The Bible says that he was full of faith and power to do great wonders and miracles among the people. The guy that waits on tables. Wow. How awesome is that? God, He just uses anybody that wants to be. He uses anybody. Everybody that will. Acts chapter 7. Later, when brought to trial for his preaching, God gave Stephen a mighty and powerful witness against the council. God spoke through Stephen to that council. What was the effect of that sermon, that message? They went insane. They, went, they were totally animalistic. Gnashed on them with their teeth. How crazy do you have to be to do that? That's just, they're gone. They're completely gone. They were so incensed by what Stephen said. You know why they were incensed? Yeah, because they knew in their heart of hearts they were absolutely correct. That was the truth, and they knew it. They knew it in their heart of hearts. They couldn't accept it. Acts chapter 8. Persecution arose against the church. How about that? Enemies let this go on long enough. Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Acts 8, 6, and 7 states this. 
The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. So the people saw this. It's almost as if Philip understood the, uh, the end of Mark. When we pre- preach God's Word, it will be confirmed with signs following. Peter went down, I'm sorry, yeah, Peter went down according to the will of God and opened unto the Samaritans the kingdom of God. When Philip preached to them, they had repented. They'd been water baptized in Jesus' name, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. That was Peter's responsibility. He had the keys. So he went down and he unlocked the kingdom to the Samaritans. They all received the Holy Ghost. Philip was commanded by God to go to a certain place, and he went and he encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip expounded the Scriptures to him, baptized him. Right after that, he was caught up by the Spirit. When's the last time that happened to you? It's never happened to me. This is a unique time in history. He was caught away by the Spirit to Azotus. I'm saying that correctly. Acts chapter 9, God miraculously reveals Himself to Saul and converts the greatest mortal enemy the church has and makes him one of the church's greatest weapons against the enemy. Isn't that just like God? What an awesome tactic. Paul is blinded until he is obedient to the commandment of the Lord, at which time he's healed. He begins to preach Jesus to the Jews in the synagogues. Acts 9, 21 and 22 states this, But all that heard him were amazed, and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So he started his ministry. Acts chapter 10, God opens the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. Cornelius, a centurion, prays before God always and is answered of him. Acts 10, 3-7 states this, He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. He sent the men to Simon Peter. I find this interesting. I want to just touch on this real quick. I'm going to send you to this guy and he's going to tell you what you need to do. Couldn't God have just told him what he needed to do? Of course he could have. He can do anything he wants. He's God. But he chooses this way. He doesn't preach to people. He sends people to preach to people. He sends people to witness to people. That's how he's designed this whole thing. Aren't you glad that God gave us a part in this great work? That He's given us such a powerful purpose in the kingdom of God. What an awesome thing that is. I don't, we don't just sit back and watch God do everything and wait for Him to come get us. Even before there was sin, He gave, he gave Adam a job. He gave him something to do. When we come into the kingdom of God, we get something to do. We get a job according to our gifts and talents, according to our callings. But He gives each of us a job. It's part of the body of Christ. Peter receives a revelation from God in the form of a vision. God tells Peter that some men are coming. Don't fear to go with them, for I have sent them. He gets this weird vision. All of these unclean things to eat. Arise and eat, Peter. Not so, Lord. I don't eat anything unclean. What I've called clean is not unclean. Here's what I get from this. 
getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. We're running out of time anyway. Here's what I get from this. Folks, when God initiates this next great revival, it's going to be a unique time in history. Things are going to be weird. Things are going to be different. Things that we have not seen before are going to take place. Crazy things, wondrous things, glorious things are going to happen through us. We're going to be eyewitnesses of these things. We're going to be right in the middle of it. But there may be some things that we think is doctrinal truth that isn't doctrinal truth. Some things that we hold on to, some traditions that we think are are necessary for salvation. Now, I always got to be careful here. Please don't misunderstand me. Got the bishop standing right here, bishop's wife. Doctrinal truth will never change. Okay? That never changes. I don't care what revelation anyone gets. There's always going to be one God and only one God. The Holy Ghost will always be necessary for salvation. Baptism in Jesus' name is always necessary, okay? That never changes. That's truth. But, God may confront us with some other things that we think are absolutely necessary, but maybe really aren't. I don't have a good example for you because I don't know what those things will be. But if they do come, like they came to Peter, we need to be ready to receive that. Because it's going to be a unique time in history. Doctrine will never change. The Word of God will never change. Don't misunderstand me. That is set in stone. Heaven and earth will pass. God's Word will not pass away. Okay. Those things are iron pen. Rock solid. But some things that we do, programs we have, we can take and leave those. We're not married to those. We're not married to programs. We're married to doctrine. We're married to the Word of God. Okay. So, just be aware of that. Acts 11. Peter had to defend his actions to the Jewish converts. Again. When revival comes and God desires to do these new things, there may be people that question your motives, question what you're doing. If you've received from the Lord something and you're assured of that, do what Peter did. Well, this is what happened. This is what God told me. Submit yourself to the elders. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? Amen. I'm going to say this too. Even though you feel like God tells you something, we still need to submit ourselves to authority. I need to submit myself to authority. I just can't preach whatever I want to preach. I'm part of an organization. Thank God. I love this organization. I really do. I love the fact that I am submitted to authority, that I have a covering. I have protection. That's awesome to me. I need that. All right. Uh, remember that persecution that started in Acts 8? Well, now we're in Acts 11. Acts 11, 19-21. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Venice, Venice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So they were scattered from Jerusalem and did what? Started preaching the gospel. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. God used that persecution for something wonderful, like He always does. Always does. When we're facing the persecution, it's always... Not always. Sometimes it's difficult. It ought not be difficult, but sometimes it is to see God's hand working in that. But God always turns it around and does something awesome through it. This, in my mind, is an example of God leaving the 99 to seek the one. Is it okay? Is it okay if I have to go through some persecution and some tough times so that God can bring someone into the fold? 
I hope it's okay with me. I hope I am okay with that. Because that's exactly what Jesus said about leaving the 99 to go looking for the one. He does that, folks. He loves everyone. He wants everyone saved. And if I have to suffer for a season to see that happen, in Jesus' name, let me be okay with that. This chapter ends with the prophecy given and the church responding by organizing to send relief into those who, to those who were affected by the, the coming dearth. Amen. And we could go through the rest. We're not going to. But the, the entire book of Acts is, is story after story after account after account of these things happening. There's, there's persecution in there. But even in that, great things are coming because of it. When you pray for revival, folks, it's kind of like praying for patience. Don't cease to pray for it, but just understand what you're praying for. Just like praying for a Bible study. You start praying for a Bible study, I really want to teach a Bible study, and that's great. We all, we all should be praying for a Bible study if we're not teaching one. But, once you get the Bible study... Now I don't have as much time as I used to have. Now I got this guy asking me questions that I'm not sure I know the answer to. It's a commitment. When we pray for revival, for God to revive His body, to revive His church, that's going to bring us to a place that is exhausting, that will use us up. Is that what we're willing is that a place we're willing to go? I hope it is. I pray that it is. Because again, this is our number one priority, or it should be. The kingdom of God needs to be our number one priority. Because heaven and earth is going to pass away, folks. Quick trip, it's going bye bye. Quick trip's not going to heaven. The VA's not going to heaven, Brother DeMuth. It won't be there. No. No, you won't need to buy buns either. So, so I'm out of a job too. <laughs> but what we did in the kingdom of God will last forever. Those people that we've impacted for Jesus Christ, we bring them into the fold. or God uses us to bring them into the fold. They're going to be with us in eternity forever. That won't make anything I have to do here worth it. Anything I have to give or sacrifice, anything I have to set aside, that will make it worth it. Great revivals through history. The first great awakening with Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, Wesley, the, the general awakening with Charles Finney. Some of these names uh, some of you have heard of, some maybe not, but that's okay. We're, uh, the Layman's Prayer Revival. That's an awesome one. Uh, Dwight L. Moody and a couple others. Uh, the Pre-Reformation Revival, 13 to 1500s, with John Huss, John White, White. Thank you, that guy. Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther. Any Lutherans out there? Yeah. John Calvin, John Knox. The 1904 Revival, beginning in Wales. The Welsh Revivals, spreads to Azusa Street. Most of us are at least somewhat familiar with that story here in Pentecost. Others we could mention, the Jesus people, Billy Graham crusades during the W2 era. We have examples all through history. We have examples in Scripture of what revival means. Where the church, God's people, are revived. And they begin to act the way that they were meant to act. They begin to believe... They are the people that we are supposed to be. This isn't just another part of my life. This isn't just one thing that I'm tacking on to an otherwise busy life. This is my life now. This is who I am now. Everything else is tertiary. It's secondary. It, this is my primary focus. I know I'm pastoring now, but even before that, when I first came into church, I was told right away, this is who I am now. 
I'm a child of God first. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God first. Everything else is secondary. I identify with Jesus Christ. I need to realize who I am in Jesus Christ. That I am a child of God. I am not who I used to be. That is who I used to be, but He's dead. This is who I am now. A brand new creature. A child of God. I sit at the King's table. I eat the King's meat. I receive my portion from Him. I have His name. When you stop and think, just meditate on what God has done for us. What we have received of Him. Oh my word. Why do we ask so small? Why are we so afraid to bring our problems to Him? I've heard it said a few times, I've read it in books, that it's an insult to God to ask small things of Him. To a large degree, I think that, I mean, there are small things that I do ask of Him, and, and, and those things mean something to Him because they mean something to me. But when I'm asking for something, oh, if I could, if I could just get a little sip of water and oh, I, could, I could make it the rest of the way. If I could just get, if I could just make it through the day, I'm good. I wasn't created to, to make it through the day. I was created to, to be a child of victory. I was created to live and walk in victory. That's who I was created to be. God doesn't make it through the day. So I don't have to make it through the day. When I was when I was first started coming to church, one of the guys in the, the military outreach thing that I was in, uh, our pastor came and asked him, So how are you doing today, Charles? Oh, hanging in there. And I knew enough about Pastor Williams to... Here it comes. <laughs> hanging in there? Why are you just hanging in there? You're a child of God, Charles. You don't just hang in there. We live victoriously every day. Now, we don't always feel victorious, do we? And if we look at our present circumstances, it doesn't always look like we're being victorious or living in victory. But folks, we are. Sister Tammy said it. Even though diagnosed with cancer... There's a peace. There's a peace inside. Because I know the one that heals cancer. And worst case scenario, I know who I'm going home with. I know who I'm going to be with forever. It's always, it's always victory in our lives. The enemy can do nothing to us unless we give him permission, we buy into his lies, he convinces us that, oh, maybe you're right, maybe I... No, 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 no. Why do we ever listen to a word that comes out of his mouth? Despite the fact that our world waxes worse and worse, God's kingdom waxes greater and greater. Second Samuel, <laughs> Second Samuel 3.1 Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And I fully expect that's what we're going to see leading to the end. That the kingdom of God is going to wax stronger and stronger. The kingdom of Satan is going to wax weaker and weaker. And we are going to be victorious. And we are going to live and walk in victory. And we're going to see miracles that we haven't even dreamed of. We're going to see God do great things that we couldn't have even imagined. Because these new things, God desires to do new things, folks. Sing unto the Lord a new song. He loves new things. And we're going to see so many of them, it's going to make our heads spin. But if I can encourage us here at closing, jump into the middle of it, folks. Position yourself and be ready for when it comes. Revival is coming. God's church is going to be revived. It is being revived. Amen. 
I want to be revived. I want to be who I was created to be. A child of God. Living and walking in victory every single day of my life. Praise God. I don't have to fear the enemy. I don't have to fear people. I don't have to fear death itself. I can look anything in the eye. And I can walk forward in the will and plan of God boldly because I know whom I have believed. Praise God.